As I said before, this is a special service. Uh, we're going to have the opportunity to hear from our two new elders this morning. Uh, later in the service, we're also going to hear some testimony from a former pastor elder before he and his family came to Westwood, that is. Uh, this, this man's been through the fire over the last couple of years and has experienced God's sustaining grace and sustaining power and who is being restored. So I'm excited to hear from him too. But our new elders, what's very clear from the vote of our elder selection three weeks ago is that you, the church, view all three of the men, all three of the men who were put before you as being qualified and gifted and worthy of service as elder. Uh, when selecting an elder, we're told not to look for somebody who could care for the flock. We're, we're, we understand we look for somebody who's already uh, serving the flock. And as I said last week in, in my sermon on how deacons are the backbone of the church, we know that deacons are to help the elders tend and care for the flock. <clears throat> Excuse me. But... Much of the time that looks different than how the elders serve, but tending the flock nonetheless. But being a deacon is not a stepping stone to being an elder. You've heard that before. But because there is similarities and overlap in the servant leadership, and because of the fact that we select men who are already demonstrating servant leadership, it's not surprising that all three of the men who were in consideration to serve as elders were at the time serving as deacons. We knew that all three of these men were going to continue to serve, love on, and minister to this body, whether they did it in the official capacity of elder or continuing as deacon. And it blessed my heart three weeks ago at the end of that service to look down at the end of our service and to see those three men down here praying together. That was a testimony of those men and their hearts to serve. So I, I just want to say I don't see Mark this morning, but I'm thankful for Mark Blaylock and his continued service to this body. First Peter 5, 2 says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. And because you're called, you serve God by serving and shepherding his flock. So let's hear from our new elders, Gary Bidner and then Scott. Come on, Gary. And don't assume that everybody here knows you or how long you've been here or how you got here. But, you know, Jim took some of your time. So you got to, you know, hurry up. No, I'm just kidding. So I don't get too distracted. It's bright up here. All right. JT said most most of you know me. But for those who don't, I'll 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 start back the beginning. Um. Brenda and I, um, we dated in high school and through college. And so when uh, college years were over, instead of going to commencement, Brenda and I got married that day. And um, seemed right to me. I mean, I got the treasure. So anyway, 10 days later, we found ourselves in Arkansas where I started my first real job. We had no spiritual background in our lives at all. We had good parents. We had, you know, all the things that you would hope for in life, I guess. But we had no understanding of any spiritual things. But the Lord had an, had a, an idea for us. He arranged for us when we moved there to meet a Christian realtor named Emma Jean Dugan. And Emma Jean was found us a house to live in, but really she was more interested in a, an internal home for us, really. 
is what it was. And, and from there, we, Brenda went to work in a bank. And all the people she met in the bank were Christians, it seemed like. And they were interested in our spiritual well-being. And they began to invite us to church. We lived in a largely Christian community that was there, and they were also interested in our spiritual well-being. I've told others many times, we'd get introduced, they would say, you know, what's your name? And I would, you know, say, Gary, and they say, hello, I'm Alan, where do you go to church? You know, they were interested in us. We found a church that was interested in us. We found a church that loved the Lord, that was solid. They were interested in our spiritual well-being and our salvation in particular, And we found most of all there, we found a pastor and a congregation that just loved us into the into what was going on. And through that, um, we found the Holy Spirit. One of the things that convicted me early on was there was a sign over the door in the back. I hated the sign because it said over the back, have you rejected Jesus again? Then there was one way out of that building. It was underneath that sign. And every time I walked out the door, I tried to keep my head down. I didn't want to see that sign. But the Holy Spirit just wouldn't let me alone in those things. So all those things in our lives eventually uh, led me to the Lord. And eventually I just surrendered my will. Now, at first I had no idea what was going on. I remember coming down and talking to the pastor like you see happen here many times. I had no idea what was going on. I just trusted the Lord at his word. I... um. I had joy over my salvation, but I really didn't understand it well, and I certainly didn't know what to do with it now that I now that I had it. All I knew that I was once lost, but now I was saved from a devil's hell. Hell. But um, we had friends that helped guide us along the way, and that was a big deal for us. So that's kind of my salvation story. But so now what? What difference does that make in my life, and how has it changed anything in my life? So the first thing that happened is the Lord gave me a changed heart and a desire to know him and walk with him. And all that's happened since that point is to God's credit. It's not to mine because I'm he's just leading me along the way and I'm trying to figure out where I'm going. But I began to understand that I have some responsibilities in this myself. So since then, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I've been doing, as Paul says in Ephesians 2.12, I've been trying to work out my salvation. So what's that mean after 45 years? Well, first off, it means I came to the realization of a couple of things. One is God's real, and he is who he claims to be in the Bible. And he's the creator of everything that there is, including me and my life and everything that surrounds me. My welfare, my future, my past, my good fortune, my disappointments, and everything about me is in his hands. I am not in control of any of this stuff. So I needed to refocus my life and get my priorities straight. And that's something I'm still working on and find myself out of touch or out of step with at times. But most of all, I think I discovered it's not about me. It's about the Lord and understanding how to worship him for his goodness. So all that made me uh, make some commitments. I had to make commitments to the Lord and to myself. So the first thing I did was I set myself continually under good biblical teaching in a solid Christian church. Some place that would teach me about Jesus and teach me what I was supposed to know about his love and concern for me. Something about his compassion, something about his glory, something about who he is. And out of appreciation for Jesus, who Jesus is and his personal interest in my life, I placed myself willingly... Responsible to him first and foremost. 
Now, what does that mean? That means uh, that in everything I think and I do and I say, I try to and I want to hold myself accountable to the Lord. Do I succeed all the time? I don't. But because of that love for me, my life from that point on, with the help of the Holy Spirit directed me, would be an attempt to walk with, in step with the words of the Bible and please the Lord. So that's what I mean when I say I'm working out my salvation. I'm working on being made into the spiritual image of God. Now, I'm still doing that. I'm, I'm being made in the spiritual image of Christ in whatever way it's possible for a man to be made in that image. And that's what I refer to as sanctification. So as a Christian for 45 years now, am I there yet? Most of you know me. Am I there yet? Jerome? I see you that. Now I'm not there yet. Be honest. I'm not there yet. Neither are you. Right? <laughs> right? That's right. We're not. I still get sidetracked. I still get angry without cause. Sometimes I'm critical of my thought. And I'm always looking for advantage for me. Isn't that what we all do? Um, and the list of faults goes on and on with me. But my commitment to the Lord remains, and that commitment stronger than it ever has been, as I try to balance each decision and each action on what the Lord would have me to do. So I know my salvation is secure in Jesus. I don't, I don't sweat over that stuff. I'm not working on that. That was taken care of a long time ago. By God's grace and through Jesus' blood on the cross. And I've got that. But I am in fear of bringing shame to the name of the Lord. And I'm in fear of that because I don't want to be the person that stands in your way. I don't want to be the person that's ever seen as saying, well, if that's a Christian, I don't want any part of that. And because of that, I make a constant effort to guard my steps and be the one who represents Jesus on this earth. Now, I'm not a very good evangelist in speech. I don't do that very well. So I'm trying to be an evangelist through my actions and my attitudes. And as those things draw others around me, I look for opportunities then to share Christ. But I'm grateful to the Lord for all he is and all he is to me personally. And I am in awe of a God who from the beginning of time, he, he, um, he has known my name. He's known the number of my days, and he's down to the details of the very hairs on my head. And I'm humbled by the love of God who would send his son, Jesus, for me, in spite of all the things I've told you I fail at. But he's done that for me, and he's done that same thing for you. And I'm proud to be known as a Christian. And I hope to never falter in that charge and responsibility that comes with that name. And I hope to never be that stumbling block that somebody falls short of understanding who Christ is because of me. So as a fellow Christian, a friend, and your elder now, I tell you, I can't walk on this alone. I can't do all this alone. And so I need your help. And I'm asking your godly influence in my life to help me stay on the straight and narrow and act in a manner that pleases the Lord. And I mean that. If there's something in, in my character or something you see me doing, um, I would appreciate if you take a moment and come to me and talk to me about that. Um, anyway, as far as that is, I, I guess that's it. I thank you for the, your confidence you have in me.
uh, by selecting me as one of the, the elders for the next couple of years. And I'll tell you, I'll do my best to serve Christ, this church, and you in any way that I can. Thanks. Man, it's good to hear from the brothers. Amen. Thank you. Good morning again, Westwood. Uh, my name is Scott Williams. I know a lot of you, um, a lot of you I don't. It's very good to be here today. Thank you so much for your confidence. I humbly come before you uh, seeking to serve the Lord in any way that I can within this body, within the larger body as a whole. Um, uh, married to the best wife in the world. Sorry, guys, I got her. Uh, no disparagement upon your wife, but uh, she's mine. Uh, three boys live across the street from uh, one of the best pastors in the world. Uh, his yard is a lot nicer than mine, so if you come by, just look to your right instead of to your left. Um, it's just good to be here. Uh, I don't have all the details and the wonderful 45 years of testimony that my brother does. Um, what I do have uh, is just the willingness to be his, um, to serve you, And uh, several weeks ago, I was reading through Corinthians, um, and I I came across a passage, and I thought to myself, you ever ever do that? Like, you're going to share that? You're going to hope you get a chance to talk to somebody about that? For me, it's I hope I get a chance to preach that, and JT, I will not preach that this morning. I will share it. Um, But the last ten years of our lives, um, I'm eat up medically. I'm just, I'm a... 50-year-old in the body of a 90-year-old. Many of you know that. Many of you served our family so faithfully over the years, um, helping just in ways you'll never know, coming along beside us. Uh, lots of issues. Um, I'll give you that whole spiel if you need me to at some point. Uh, but just know that as I see in this passage, and it spoke to me, because it's, uh, 2 Corinthians 4 mentions that we are jars of clay. Jars of clay, uh, dishonorable vessels that have been redeemed for a higher purpose. And so I'm going to read this passage to us. And there's two parts in here I really want us to focus in on. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians 4. Um, and there's, there's two sections we're going to really look at um, briefly, briefly. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and start reading as you find your way there. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power of God or the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. 
We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen. Brothers and sisters, this passage several weeks ago just jumped out because I, it resounded within me. It, it, it came along beside me and I saw myself reflected in it. Um, do you feel afflicted? We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Amen. Our worldview is it. Absolute contrast to the world in which we live. I find myself perplexed, but I'm not in despair. We should not, as the bride of Christ, be despairing in these times that we find ourselves in. It's easy to go there. We have to fight against that. Persecuted but not forsaken. Amen. If we're persecuted, we're in good company. Jesus was persecuted. The apostles were persecuted. Throughout the age of the church, there's been persecution. We haven't seen it much here. We will. But until that day, we need to be edifying, building up, encouraging one another, strengthening one another as we walk this path that God has laid out before us. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We look across our land, and and the, the very name Christian is becoming a curse. But we are not accursed because our God is high and lifted up. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. We've got to be, and I'm not one for sport metaphors, okay? My, my kids can tell you sports is not my thing. If you've ever talked to me about your team, um, I listen. I might know a little bit about shooting a field goal or something like that, okay? Uh, Brother Jason was telling me about his team, and it made enough sense that if the number one person gets knocked off and his team is number two, I would assume they move to the number one spot. Um, I went to state, never went to a ball game. It's just not my thing. But I do know this. You've heard the term, leave it all on the field, right? You t- the coaches tell their, their players this. When I was in service, our sergeants and and commanders would say, leave it on the field of battle. You've got to put everything in. We have got to put everything in as the church. Okay? Um, We are in the final quarter. 
Is that another sport analogy? Okay. And we are driving toward the finish line. Okay. The objective is right in front of us. We've got to take that hill. We are in a world full of lost and dying people. When you go out of here today and, and you go out into the restaurants, you go into your community, you go into your place of business tomorrow, your office, whatever situation you find yourself in, you will be around lost people. And our mouths cannot stay closed. Our hearts cannot stay hardened and our spirit cannot stay suppressed. We have got to be the hands, the feet and the mouth of the gospel of Christ. Death is at work in us, but life in him, in Christ Jesus. That's the source of everything for us. Do not find any charging for your batteries in the things of this world. Why? Verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. I think I've not been speaking into this. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Spend yourselves. Spend your life. It's okay to lose everything for the gospel. Amen? It's okay to leave it out there. To die with nothing. We don't need a reserve in our tank. We need brothers and sisters that greet us in heaven and say thank you for expending all that God entrusted you with. And this last couple verses. I was sitting in my recliner with my sweet, sweet dog in my lap and a cup of coffee. And as I read this, time stopped. Because the mirror was right before me and I was seeing the last ten years of my life. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Look around, touch something. Touch somebody. All of this will be consumed. There's a day coming that is glorious and new. This is all temporal. This world, the things of this world, the lies of this world, the materials of this world, it will fade and be consumed. There's only one thing that's here now that's going to survive. And that's the souls of men and women. And this is the terrifying thing. That every man, woman, and child you see has a soul. Whether it be bound for heaven or hell. And that soul will be there for eternity. And so we have choices to make with our time, our energies, our resources. Do we truly love as Christ has loved? Do the lost people in our lives, do they deserve our time and our energies? Because they're eternal, just like we're eternal. And we celebrate our salvation. We know that we're going to spend eternity with heaven, in heaven with Christ, with God, with the Holy Spirit, with the angels, with all those who've loved Christ who've gone before us. Amen. Isn't that a beautiful thing to look forward to? 
But there's no lack of space in heaven for the people that God loves. So look at your bodies. Look at everything that you have as temporary. And be willing to suffer momentary affliction. What if we're lucky we get 80 years? 90? I don't want 90 years. You can keep it, okay? Um, I, I, I just, I want to live out. A, I'd like to see some grandkids. I, Lord, please. You know? Um, no pressure, boys. Okay? I'm just saying. Daddy's on a short clock here, okay? Um, but, but, but here's what I'm saying. There's an eternal weight of glory that's beyond all compared. We can't even comprehend it, what's down the road, what's to come. We read about it. It's described to us in Scripture. But the, the closest we come is when we're communing with the Father, we're communing with Christ, we're communing with the Spirit, and we get that sense. You ever do that? You get that sense of what's to come. Desire that. Everyone that you know, desire that, that yearning to be with Christ, that assurance that you know you're going to be with him. Don't hold it so tight. Don't hold it so tight. Be willing to let this broken jar just crumble for the name of Christ. Amen.